This is a story of how uh, a friend of our family, uh, a girl named Lek, a Thai girl, became a Christian, how she trusted in the Lord, and then how she was baptized. This is a picture of Lek with our family just a few weeks ago as we visited her in Thailand. Lek, if you don't know, is the one in the middle with the umbrella. Ah, that's funny. Uh, the picture was taken in front of uh, the building where Lek teaches. Uh, she teaches chemistry at Tepsitri University in Lopuri, Thailand. And Lek's not only a chemistry professor, uh, she's also one of the leaders of the church that uh, my wife and I had the privilege of helping start over 20 years ago in Lopuri. We first met Lek in 1996 when uh, you guys were not born. I don't know, your parents were born yet. I don't know. Uh, when we were doing ministry at Tepsitri University. She was teaching chemistry, but she was also preparing to return to school uh, to get her PhD. She had her master's, she was able to teach, but she was uh, gonna go back and get her PhD. And, and one of the things she needed to do in order to uh, get that PhD or help her with her PhD was to improve her language skills. So we met her and she asked us if we would, if we would help teach her some conversation English. We agreed, uh, and so we started teaching her English, but soon Lek became, uh, that picture is not supposed to be, yeah, yeah, well, it's okay. Uh, we agreed, and soon Lek became uh, more than just an English student. She became sort of a memory of our, of our family, as these pictures show. She became one of the, our family's closest friends in Thailand. We spent a lot of time together. And we talked about many things. We talked about who Jesus was. Uh, we talked about what it meant to be a Christian. We talked about other things she had experienced in her life. And when we took uh, 30 college students, I've told you about, uh, guys about this trip. It was a pretty big impactful trip where we took 30 college students uh, to an evangelistic camp uh, from Lopuri down to the beach uh, near Bangkok. Uh, we invited Lek to go along. She wasn't a student, she was a teacher, and so she was a little hesitant. I don't go with all these students, but she agreed. At the camp, one of our fellow missionaries who had been there a lot longer than us uh, shared a message, and this message was on the unconditional love of God. I remember after the message, uh, Lek was crying. She was just in tears, and when Christina and I asked her why, she said, she said, I found what I've been looking for. She was overwhelmed by the truth of God's unconditional love for her. The fact that because of Jesus' death on the cross, that God would accept her as she, as she was, that he would invite her into a relationship where she could be his child and, and he would be her, her father, and, and she didn't have to clean up her life before coming to him. That Jesus had paid for every one of her sins. So we asked Lek if she wanted to trust in Jesus and, and become a Christian, and, and we were certain she was ready. She was going to say yes, but I'll never forget what she said. She said, uh, not yet. I found what I'm looking for, but I need to know if it's true. She'd heard the gospel. She found it compelling. It was what she was looking for, but she needed to know if it was more than just a fantasy. Is there really a God who loves me unconditionally? Is there really a, uh, the Son of God? Did he come and die for my sins? That seems a little far-fetched. 
She needed to know if it was true. And so over the next several months, we began to, to just meet with Lack. We began to study the Bible. We began to answer her questions. I don't remember exactly what we studied, but I'm sure we focused on who Jesus was, what he had done, why we believed what he had done for us was true. And I do remember getting a little impatient. Okay, Lack, you had said you'd found what you're looking for. Let's, let's move this along here. Because as we studied, I'd, I'd ask Lex, so, so do you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Is it true? And she'd reply, uh, not yet, but, but closer, closer. Now, while this was going on, something else was happening uh, 360 miles to the north in a city called Chiang Mai, Thailand. I've talked about that a little bit. This is where our daughter, Beth, uh, went to school. And when school was in session... It was on the uh, American schedule. Uh, she lived in a dorm with other missionary kids. She would go up on the train and she would be there and we would miss her and we would go visit her. But every night before the kids in the dorm went to bed, the dorm parents would ask the kids if there was anything that they'd like to pray for. And for months, uh, Beth, so you can see Beth there. She and Lek had become really close, really. For months, Beth had been asking everyone in the dorm to pray for Lek. Praying for Lek to believe in the truth of who Jesus was and is, because a regular, uh, that, that just became a regular part of dorm life, praying for Lek. And so when Lek finally did say, yes, I believe it's true. Uh, I've, I'm convinced. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. There was rejoicing, not only in, in Lopuri, Thailand, but also in Chiang Mai. And I think uh, a lot of, some of you were rejoicing because we had asked many of you to pray for Lek as well. Now, not long after Lek gave her life to Christ, she, she moved to Chiang Mai. Uh, she moved there to work on her PhD. That's the University of Chiang Mai. She was going to get her PhD in chemistry there. And before she left, we put her in contact with other missionaries that were up there who lived in Chiang Mai, and they helped her find a church, and they helped her uh, continue to grow in her faith. And within several months, Lek called us and said she was going to be baptized just in a few weeks, and she asked if we could, if we could travel up to see her baptized. And of course, we said yes. Now here comes the reason this is my uh, favorite baptism story. It turns out that the church Lek was attending used the pool at the dorm where my daughter lived to do their baptisms. So Lek was baptized in Chiang Mai at the dorm where kids for months had been praying for her salvation when she lived 360 miles south in Lopuri. This true story to me is uh, one of the greatest testaments to God's faithfulness. He was faithful to Lek as he continued, uh, even in her doubt, uh, I, I, I have this unbelief, but help me believe. He continued to draw her to himself. He was faithful to Christina and I as we saw him work through us, uh, through our weakness. We saw his strength as he brought Lek to himself. And he was faithful to those kids in the dorm, giving them a, a tangible example of how he would work through their prayers. So, so that's my uh, favorite baptism story. You guys can go now if you want. Now it's going to get all Bible-y and stuff. But you guys can do. You can go. You guys don't want to go? Are you guys staying? Okay, you guys are staying. Are you guys staying? Okay.
Now, that was, again, that's my favorite baptism story. And for those of us who've been baptized, uh, we have our own stories, right? They may not be as dramatic as Lex, but, but each one is meaningful. Each one provides this uh, solid memorial to our faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here today, and you really don't know much about baptism. Maybe you're not a Christian, but you're curious about uh, why these people insist on dunking one another in a hopefully semi-lukewarm uh, water that's up there. And it's a little, you guys won't see it, but it's a kind of a little brown too, just so you know. But what's the big deal? So when we were in, I'll tell you this, just to make uh, those of us that are going in the water feel a little better. When we were in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to an elephant sanctuary. Not one of the bad places, but the good places where they take care of the elephants. We got to feed elephants, and we got to bathe with elephants. We went into mud. It was actual mud. It was like a mud bath in a spa, except it had elephant poop in it as well. It was very interesting. Uh, and so we went in the mud, and then we got out of the mud, and then we went into uh, clearer water, much uh, not as clear as what's up there. So, so as we go into that water, realize I survived elephant poop water. Okay. I lost where I was. What am I talking about here? Maybe you're curious about what, what, what's the big deal here. Or, or maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've been baptized, uh, but you haven't really grasped the significance of baptism. For me, when I was baptized, I was 13 years old. Uh, all I really knew was that the pastor said it was a good thing to do. My parents wanted me to do it. And I said, okay, thank that, that God wanted me to be baptized. And so I, I, I did. So today, no matter where you are, uh, before we witness these two baptisms, I want to help us to understand better what baptism really is, what it means, and uh, why we do it. So let's begin with the question, uh, what is baptism? And the first thing uh, we need to do is look at the word baptism. This word baptism is a, a, a transliteration. That's the, the big word for the day. I don't think I have any more really big words. Transliteration of the Greek word bapto or baptisma. Transliteration is not a, a translation. It's basically writing a word in one language uh, into another language, taking the sounds, because some languages have sounds you don't have. It's sort of taking a word uh, that's in one existing language and, and transforming it into your language without trans. We have, an example would be the word parf. I don't even say it in French, but parfume. We say perfume. You know, we didn't really translate it. We just took the word and anglicized it. And that's the same thing as uh, baptism. So baptism is really an actual Greek word, and it means to dip or to immerse or to submerge. In the New, Test in New Testament times, it was, it was a common word used uh, for just putting something into liquid. For example, during the Last Supper, when Jesus was questioned about who would betray him, we read in John 13, 26, Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. That word dipped or, or dipping uh, are both uh, the Greek words bapto. So in the Greek and Roman cultures, this word didn't, didn't have any really specific religious significance. 
It just meant putting or, or dipping or immersing something in liquid. In the Jewish culture, however, there's evidence that the word was being used, uh, was used for uh, ritual cleansings of an unclean Gentile who wanted to convert to Judaism. If a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, he or she needed to first be cleansed. So they needed to be baptized. Uh, the Jews were born, quote unquote, cleansed. We'll talk a little bit about that. But if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to Judaism, you needed to be baptized. John the Baptist is the, is the first place in the New Testament where we get this, see this idea of baptism. He was set apart uh, by God as a prophet. He was to prepare the people the, the, of Israel for their coming Messiah. He did this by calling the Jewish people, he was calling the Jews, not the unclean Gentiles, to repent, uh, to turn to God in faith and obedience, and to be baptized. That's why his name became John the Baptist. So for us to understand the baptisms we, uh, we see today, we need to understand uh, John's baptism. Let's begin by asking, uh, what was the purpose of John's baptism? In, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, we read, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Remember, he, he appeared and proclaimed to the Jewish people. He was calling Jews to repent of their sins and to be baptized. So, so what did it mean for Jewish, a Jewish person to be baptized? Now we need to understand that, that the Jews were waiting for their Messiah Messiah is another transliteration. From, it's from the Hebrew, not the Greek, and it means the anointed one. The Old Testament teaches that the one who would, that one who had been anointed or chosen by God would come to deliver his people. And John was preparing the Jews for the coming Messiah. Get ready. The one God has anointed, the one God has chosen is coming. He's coming to deliver you. Uh, therefore, repent of your sins. Turn from your sins and, and turn to God. Put your faith in God. Begin to obey God and be baptized. Be cleansed. Now, in the minds of most Jewish people, because they were God's chosen people already, they were already ready for the promised Messiah. They were already uh, clean. But under God's direction, John was calling out of the Jewish people at first a new people. And the mark of this new people would, be, would not be uh, their Jewishness. It would not be that they were part of, they were a descendant of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The mark of this people would be repentance, faith, obedience, and baptism. Circumcision, if you remember, uh, which was given to God to Abraham, was the mark. It was the symbol of God's covenant with the Jewish people. Every uh, Jewish male child was circumcised when they were eight days old. Circumcised, circumcision signified that they were part of the, the same covenant people uh, that their parents belonged to. But John is preparing the way for something new. A new covenant with a new people. A covenant in which uh, what counts is not who your parents are, but who you trust in, who you believe in. And so the new uh, symbol, the new mark of this covenant, of being part of this covenant people, uh, was given. And that symbol is baptism. 
So by calling all the Jews to participate in the, the ceremony of baptism, John was declaring, really in a powerful way, he was saying uh, that your physical descent, who your parents are, who your ancestors are, that you descended from Abraham, does not make you part of the family of God. And therefore, circumcision, which signifies a physical relationship uh, to the Jewish people, is now replaced by baptism, which signifies a, a spiritual relationship. So John, uh, John the Baptist lays the foundation for the New Testament understanding of baptism. Jesus himself accepted uh, baptism by John. You remember John said, I can't baptize you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said, just, just do it. He probably said it in a better way than that. Jesus identified himself with John's teaching. Jesus is saying, yes, now it's about repentance and faith and obedience and he also identified himself with this new people that God was calling forth uh, when he partook in baptism himself. And after John and Jesus left the earth, baptism continued in the church. Today, we're following in these footsteps. So let's look at the church and baptism. Jesus' disciples picked up John's practice and, they, uh, and baptized as part of Jesus' ministry. Then at the end of his earthly ministry, before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus commissioned uh, his disciples, the church, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism became and is uh, this key component of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We see this clearly in, in Peter's first sermon to the Jewish people gathered for Pentecost in Jerusalem. Peter closed with these words. This is his first sermon after Jesus is gone. And so Peter is sort of leading out and he, he goes out and he, he gives the sermon and he concludes with this. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. Following in the steps of John the Baptist and in obedience uh, to, to Jesus' command, the apostles call the nation Israel to repent and to signify that repentance through baptism. And the promise that they hold out is not merely for this generation, it's not just for this people, but for their children also. And not for those who are near, but for those who are far away. It's for everyone who hears and responds to the call of God. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of God actually entering into your life, is offered to all who turn, who repent, and follow Christ. And they go on to express that, that transformation that takes place through baptism. So we can see how Christian baptism became, uh, began with John's, John the Baptist. It was accepted by Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, and it was practiced by the disciples. It was commanded by the Lord after his resurrection and, and was offered to the early church to all who would repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And we can see the meaning that it, that it attained. 
It was, a, it was a sign of repentance and faith in Christ as Savior and Lord of a new people. Baptism symbolizes your conversion, your conversion uh, to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. It represents a turning from the old life and aligning yourself with Christ. Paul put it this way in Romans 6, chapter, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism symbolizes death to the old, to unbelieving, that unbelieving way and coming alive Becoming a new person who trusts and obeys Jesus Christ. The physical act of baptism was, was never and never will save anyone. We're not saved because we're uh, dunked in some water. It's an outward symbol of what's already taken place in the heart of an individual. The New Testament teaches very plainly that we're saved by grace through faith. God's free gift. God has, shows His grace upon us, and we respond in faith, and that's what brings us to salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. In our heart, we, we must decide or, or believe, receive, put our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Salvation is not a product, is a product of God's grace and it's received by faith alone. So, so we ask the question then, why baptism? Why this outward demonstration, this, this symbol, if salvation is clearly a matter of grace by faith? Because salvation is, is not merely a matter of ideas or emotions. It's not just internal. It includes the whole person. And therefore, the New Testament calls not only for faith in the heart, but also a, a confession with your mouth. Because uh, Paul writes, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart and the mouth, they go together. Confession with the mouth is an overflow of faith in the heart. We must never limit life in Christ to merely emotional or make it an internal thing. When we trust in Christ, something actually takes place in our lives to transform us. We, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says, we are new creatures in Christ. And our entire life should be impacted, both internally and externally. And to make that truth clear, the New Testament commands those who are saved internally to take an external action, namely baptism. So today, Charmel and Zane will, will confess with their mouth that the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord, and they will demonstrate that confession uh, by being baptized in His name. 
We say, or I've said this morning, that baptism is a symbol, and it is. But, but we mustn't think that, that, a symbol, it, that, that as a symbol, it isn't really necessary or important. We must not think that, that it's just a good idea. It'd be good if I was baptized, but, but I don't really need to be. It's not just a symbol. It does really matter. Let me illustrate this by, by thinking about two ways of symbolizing love, okay? First, if a, if a teacher put the words love with a bunch of hearts on it, kind of like this picture, up on a screen, and they were to say, okay, this is how the English language symbolizes uh, a commitment from the heart to someone else's welfare, to, to this feeling of, of wanting the best for another person. This is how the English language symbolizes it with this word, love, and, and usually with some hearts and stuff. That's one kind of symbolism. But if you take your uh, girlfriend out for a stroll on the beach, and there the waves are crashing in the background, and you drop to one knee, and you pull. This is, this is a picture of Christina. No, it's not really. I didn't ask my wife to marry me on the beach. I think I asked her on a couch in her parents' house, so I'm not that guy. But anyway, and there are waves crashing in the background. You drop to one knee, and you pull out a diamond ring from your pocket, and you say, will you marry me? You offer the ring, and that ring is a symbol of your love. But you're doing something very different than just putting up the word love on the screen. You're expressing uh, love through a symbolic action. The teacher who puts the word love on the screen uh, need not have love in their heart. But the giving of a, of a diamond ring is love in action. Baptism is a symbol of faith in the second way. It, like, the, like the guy asking the girl to marry him on the beach, it's an expression with the whole body of the heart's acceptance of Christ's lordship. It's a heartfelt symbol of giving your life to Christ in faith. You see, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you're giving all of yourself to him. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Tom just said? It's a symbol of being all in. You know, that's why we do the, the, the dunking. Becoming a Christian involves the body as well as the heart. In conversion, the heart is freed from sin and it becomes enslaved to God. You, you are no longer your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. In, in Romans 6.13, Paul stresses that our bodies too are involved in this changeover. Do not present your members, the members of your body, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. That's what baptism symbolizes, being brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Conversion, trusting in Christ, Becoming a Christian, we have all kinds of words, all kinds of ways we say this, but it involves your entire self, giving your entire self to God, surrendering completely to Him. And this is reflected in baptism, allowing your whole body to be submerged in Him. John Piper said it this way, It seems fitting that since the Lordship of Christ lays claim to your whole body, we should express our acceptance of that lordship with an action of the whole body. And the action Jesus commanded is baptism. 
Baptism gives expression to our faith that we are gods from head to toe. This is why the early church, this is why we at Bridges baptize by immersion. We don't sprinkle, we don't dip. We immerse the entire body underwater. I'll tell you a, a little story. I was helping the former pastor of this church, Brian Park, baptize his daughter, Rebecca. I think she was, I don't know, she was a teenager, 14 or so. And uh, so, as you'll see, we usually have two people, one on each side. And so Brian was doing the baptism, and I was assisting. And, and so uh, it came time to baptize Rebecca, and we went, she went down into the water. And I think I stopped short, and I think her nose didn't make it under. And Brian noticed, and she started coming up, and he shoved her back down. Now, Rebecca came up sputtering and coughing, but the point was, it's the whole, it's the whole, it's the whole thing. Not, your, your nose belongs to God, too, every part of you. And so that's why we, we do this immersion. When the whole body goes under, under the water, the believer symbolizes and expresses his desire to give him or, or herself completely to the Lord. Baptism means that we die completely to our old self and we're raised to a a totally new life in Christ. That's the symbolism there. Death to life. So today, in about 20 minutes or so, after we do our our, our singing, our worship, we'll be blessed by observing uh, two deaths and two resurrections. Two people will proclaim... uh, externally, the reality that's taken place internally in their hearts, in their minds. They'll say with their whole body, yes, I'll repent of my sins. Yes, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I will seek to obey Him throughout the rest of my life. Yes, I will, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, die to myself. My, my self-seeking ways, my sinful life, and, and I will, by God's grace, by God's love and His mercy in my life, live in this newness of life. That's what we're saying when we're baptizing. So as we observe these baptisms, I would, I would encourage uh, those of us who've been baptized to remember that, uh, that internal commitment and that external proclamation you made to give yourself completely to Christ. Are you giving yourself completely to Christ today? Are you remaining true to the baptism that you experienced five years ago, ten years ago, for some, thirty years ago? Let these baptisms serve as a reminder of the, of the new life you have in Christ. And if necessary, let this time of baptism serve as a recommitment to serving Christ with your whole body, with your whole self. And for those of us who are, who are believers, we've, we've, we've said it's true, we believe, but have yet to be baptized. I'd encourage you with the words that Ananias uh, spoke to Paul after Paul's conversion. This is right after his conversion. And why do you wait? I guess, you know, Ananias was for really quick baptisms. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. And so if you uh, would like to be baptized, if you're not Charmel or Zane, but are here and want to be baptized, just let me know. We'll, we'll make that happen as, as soon as we can in the near future. There's no reason to wait. Why wait? And finally, if you're here today and have yet to put your trust in Christ, maybe you're like 
uh, my friend Lech. Maybe you like the idea of a God who offers unconditional, to love you unconditionally. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, maybe you like the idea of someone that would uh, uh, pay for your sins, would die in your place. But you're just not sure if it's true. If that describes you, or, or if there are other reasons why you've yet to trust in Christ, I'd encourage you to just become a seeker of the truth. Lack before she uh, before she had heard about uh, Christ, she had she had explored. She had, okay, so she grew up in a country that was ninety plus percent Buddhist, and she had explored that and just felt like that was not the answer for her. I'd encourage you to seek out someone who's willing to answer your questions, someone who's willing to open the Bible and, and study with you. And if you don't know someone like that, then I'd encourage you to come to me, come to one of our elders, come to Tom or Jim or Gary. We'd be more than happy. It would be our joy to help you discover the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So as we turn to a a time of singing to the Lord, worshiping the one who gives meaning to the symbol of baptism, would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you. Thank you for this gift of baptism. And I pray for each individual here, no matter what their situation, Lord, I pray you would speak to them now. Lord, I pray you would draw them closer to yourself. Lord, I pray that as we sing, as we worship, as we seek to glorify and honor you, Lord, I pray that your name would be lifted up. I pray we would be drawn to you. Lord, and as we uh, participate in these baptisms, Lord, I pray that you, your name would be glorified.